After he left Athens and went to Corinth, where he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul came to them, and since they were of the same occupation, tent makers by trade, he stayed with them and worked. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself to preaching the word and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. When they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his clothes and told them, Your blood is on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So he left them, left there and went to the house of a man named, named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, along with his whole household. Many of the Corinthians, when they heard, believed and were baptized. The Lord said to Paul in a night vision, Don't be afraid, but keep on speaking and don't be silent, for I am with you, and no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you, because I have many people in this city. He stayed there a year and a half, teaching the word of God among them. When Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack against Paul and brought him to the tribunal. This man, they said, is persuading people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. As Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or a serious crime, it would be reason reasonable for me to put up with you Jews. But in these, if these are questions about words, names, and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of such things. And he so he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the, the leader of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But none of these things mattered to Gallio. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the powerful testimony of what you did in Corinth. And Lord, we, we pray that you would do it again. Lord, we pray that you would do it again here in Belgrade. Lord, that this would be a place of fruitful ministry for your church. And God, that this would be just the seat of your power in this region. We thank you so much for your blessings, Lord, in this season. And God, we pray that you would open up your word and, and show us, God, the way that you want, the ways that you want to activate our faith, to be a powerful faith, to be an encouraging faith. And so, Lord God, be with us and speak to us here this morning and encourage us. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> the word coincidence is an interesting word. Coincidence means a, a, a remarkable concurrence of events or circumstances without apparent causal connection or accident or chance. Serendipity, these are synonyms. You know, accident or chance or serendipity or Fate, a twist of fate, or, or destiny, fortuity, fortune, providence, or good luck. These are different ways to explain coincidence. Only these are kind of like you can kind of name them the you know, the the only the Lord moments, the happy coincidences. But according to the great theologian G, uh, Leroy Jethro, Jethro Gibbs. On NCIS, uh, <laughs> rule number thirty-six is there. I mean, rule 39, thirty-nine: there is no such thing as a coincidence. There's no such thing as a coincidence, as a accident, as chance or serendipity. There's no such thing as fate. There's no such thing as luck. We use biblical words like providence. These these times where you have like just have enough of something. Right? You go like get to the end of something, you're like, wow, it's getting really getting close, and you have the exact number that you needed of something to finish. Right? These chance encounters. What what are some of these that in your own life that you can think of? Have enough seam tape as I happen to buy another roll of it. There you go. You're like, it's perfect. Yeah. It was amazing, right? What else? What are some other some other of these God stories? I, I know I'm putting you on the spot. Having like per a perfect amount of tape for to you know, finish a job. Like, what are some of these other like happy coincidences coincidences in your life? Always having my surgery was successful. What's that? 
always having enough for at the end of the month. Always having enough for at the end of the month, yeah, yeah. yeah. My surgery went well. Well, that's good. It's not really co the coincidence, but it's, it's yeah. yeah, but it's good. What is that kind of a, a happy circumstance, or happy happy coincidence, as, or act of fate, or or luck? My friends asked me to Cancun, and I'm going. Well, there you go. That's a, that's a great. Not only that luck, but necessarily. Seventeen, so I'm not going to be up there. Yeah. What some of, some of my favorite say my favorite two I'll share with you guys this morning. You know, Amberlynn and I both moved to Seattle at the exact same time, and we only planned to be there for one year of our life. And it just so happened to be that the year that we were both there. And we met at the same church. She was there for massage therapy school and I was there for the residency program at Marshall's West Seattle. And we just, that, that year of our lives just happened to coincidence, coincidentally align with the time that we were both there. And brought us together at Marshall's. Amen. Happy coincidence or plan of God? Providence of the Lord, right? Um, another one is my dad um, went to, you know, he was in need of a kidney transplant because his mm -hmm. kidneys were ginormous. I have gruesome pictures I'm going to put on the screen, right? I'm just kidding. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. No, but he, his, his you know, kidneys were huge, and so he needed a transplant. Well, he started to work a job at the school bus place, you know, from youth, from youth pastor for 50 years to school bus driver. Still working with teenagers and kids, right? Crazy. But uh, so he just, he, wa he walked in first day, got his bus assignment. They were giving out the announcements and got their bus assignments. And he had kicked up a conversation with the lady next to him about youth ministry because he was a youth pastor, had been a youth pastor and still was, he was part-time. And this other lady was a volunteer in her youth ministry, had been for so for years. She loved teenagers. And so they got together and talked about church ministry and, and youth ministry and teenagers and how much they just loved teenagers and they were like, we're, we're going to be friends. And then they walk outside to their buses, and their buses are right next to each other. So they get to see each other every morning and every afternoon when they come back. Well, she, you know, through the conversation, like, she, you know, he's sharing about his kidneys and everything, and she secretly goes and gets tested. And she's a perfect oh, wow. match. Wow. And she donates a kidney to my father. Oh, wow. Amen. Happy coincidence? No. Divine no. Divine providence. The work of God, the hand of the Lord. And I just, I love those kind of, these kind of happy coincidences, right? And we can see these all through our lives, right? But, you know, these, when it talks about the encouragement and, and of Jesus and one another this morning, we're looking at these happy coincidences, how these, these things can bring such great encouragement, right? People randomly driving through and, and then we, we see them and we meet them and we, we just are encouraged because they're, they're, we meet these brothers and sisters in Jesus, um, and in these, these only God moments bring us this sense that God sees us. When you were finishing the window, you, you finish it with the perfect amount of tape. You're like, man, God saw my need. When I was able to you know, meet my, my beautiful, wonderful wife in Seattle, I was like, man, God sees me. When, when Joanne ended up being the perfect match for my father for his kidney, and they're still great friends to this day because God brought them together to drive school buses, I'm encouraged by the Lord. I, see, I, I believe that God saw my father, saw his need, saw the work that he was going to do in Joanne's life with donating the kidney and having this friendship with my father. Like I said, the world may say coincidence, but God says you're welcome. The concept of coincidence, coincidence is another way for those outside the church to reject the works of God. They say, oh, it's just fate. Well, they just, they just rename God. They, they name him Luck. Mm -hmm. Lady Luck. Or they name him Fate. Oh, yeah. Destiny. Fortitude. Fortune. Or Apollo, for that sake. There's no such thing as fate or destiny, fortune or luck. These are spiritual blessings being made manifest in the physical realm, pointing to the fact that there is a God who loves because he's a God who sees. He's a God who hears. He knows the needs. And so let's get into our passage here this morning so we can see 
that the encouragement of Jesus and, and one another. So I, I was originally going to um, preach this whole sermon this, sun, this Sunday. I'm like, wow, there's a lot here. And I'm trying to like cram it in and like, I'm like pulling stuff out. I'm like, I don't want to pull it out, but it seems weird and kind of disjointed. And I'm like, all right, we're going to pull the Philippians and we're going to do, we're going to do a three week series <laughs> on, on this, uh, on this, on this piece through, through Corinth, at least three weeks. If not, it might be even four. Because it's so big. Because, I mean, he spends a year and a half there. So we're going to be there for a little bit. Um, so let's look at Paul in Corinth. So Paul arrives in Corinth. It's about 50 miles southwest of Athens. So he left. He's leaving Athens, and he's going to Corinth, which is about 50 miles west there. It was established in about 900 B.C. Really? And it's still there. <laughs> it's been destroyed a couple of times. But uh, it was actually destroyed by the Romans in, in 146 B.C. But then the Romans rebuilt it in 44 B.C. to make it even greater than it was before. And in its heyday, there's any, I've heard anywhere between like 100 to 200,000, I just heard this morning, could have been up to, at one point, 800,000 people wow. in Corinth. Mm. This is a massive city. This is a major, major city. And one of the main reasons was it was because it was a major seaport uh, from east to west. It had two seaports. It was actually called, it's on what's called an isthmus. It's kind of fun to say. Isthmus. I-S-T-H-U-M-S. I-S-T-H-U-M-S. Or M-U-S. Isthmus. Which is basically, it's a swath of land between, a, between two land masses, and it's less than four miles wide. And so actually now they've actually dug a canal. So it's like the Panama Canal. So there's the Isthmus, the, the Corinthian Canal there now. Um, but they actually used to unload, unload um, ships in the Aegean Sea, and then they'd haul them across the land and load up another ship in the um, Ionian Sea, and then they would go on to Rome. They would go on to Italy. Because was, so they didn't have to go all the way down and around. So they'd go into Corinth. And so it was a major thoroughfare. It connected the east to the west. It connected the, 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 you know, the eastern part, uh, you know, the Greek, more of the Greek cultures to the Roman cultures. It was the, the, the hinge point of all of the Roman Empire. It was even more, like I said, it was, you know, Athens was the, the religious and cultural center, like we talked about last week. But Corinth was the economical and populous and, and social connection for everywhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, in, the, in the entire Roman Empire. Commercial, cultural, ethical melting pot. You know, people from all languages, you walk around, it's like New York. Like you hear all sorts of different kinds of languages. You know, Seattle. This is, but this is like, like Seattle, New York, LA, San Diego, Houston, and Las Vegas. <laughs> we'll get to that in a second. But uh, <clears throat> all mixed, all wrapped, in, all, all wrapped up into one. Um, and so they were known for, they were famous for, of course, their e economy, but they were famous for the Isthmian Games, which was, which was held on the off years of the Olympic Games that, was, that were held in Athens. Fun little fact, I just, I just Googled this this year, or I, I ducked up goad that this, this week. <laughs> I searched on the internet um, that if you look up how they light the Olympic torch, it's fascinating. They don't light it with like you know, a little Zippo or anything like that. They light it with the sun. Have you seen these like kind of like these ovens that like cook your cook food in like these like mirrored cups and stuff like that? It kind of looks like an oyster. They cook. They have this like uh, you know this uh, what do they call it? It's like a it's a mirror that's like concave like this, and they put the the torch inside, and so they believe that it's actually Apollo lighting it lighting the Olympic flame. And then so the light of Apollo lights, is still to this day, lights the Olympic flame, um, which is interesting. Good. It's really, it's really fast. They have the whole ceremony. They look like they're ancient Greek, you know, attire, and they're doing all this like crazy, weird cultic ceremony. And it's very interesting. <laughs> um, but yeah, but so the Isthmian Games, or they started, they're, they're, they were an athletic, uh, actually they started as like a music festival. And then they, like, it was in the middle of the night, um, and then it actually progressed into an athletic and musical competition to honor the god Poseidon in the spring of the off years of the Olympic Games. 
And this brought merchants and artisans and athletes and spectators from everywhere across the, the Greco-Roman world because everyone could get there. Everyone could get there by, by ship, you know, either from the Aegean direction or the Ionian direction. Um, and so it's interesting. So let's look at the culture. So one-third of the city, think about this, one-third of the entire city, of, you know, up to 800,000 800, people were slaves. Mm. This was a this was a very, but it, like like I said, like it's slavery back then was way different than like our perspective of like American black slavery, right? It was completely different. It was not at all the same. Um, similar but not the same. So yes, the buying and selling of people. Um, but so that, but there's a whole lot more that goes into that. But that's the conversation for another day. But and these but this place Corinth was what was like I said because it was the center of the Roman Empire. For, for the economy, it was the hub of slave, of slave trade in, in all the Roman Empire. Buying and selling and trading and all sorts of stuff. But, you know, so in, in the city of Corinth, at least one-third of the city were slaves uh, in their households. So this really, and when I'm describing the city, imagine yourself as part of the church in Corinth. So part of the church would have been heavily slaves, mm -hmm. which we'll see in the book of 1 Corinthians, in the books of the Corinthians. We'll see you know, Paul actually addressing slavery and talking about these things. Um, and the whole relational dynamic and uh, the impartiality and deference. And he's basically saying, you're, you're all equal. Stop behaving like the culture and addressing other, other people like by you're wealthy, you're a slave, you're poor, you're this, you're royalty. All that stuff, none of that stuff matters. We are all equal. We are all one. There's no deference within the church. Don't, don't make the slave brethren sit at your feet. Raise them up in dignity and honor. Honor your brothers. They're your brothers and your sisters. Don't define them as a slave in your mind. That's their work. That's not who they are. In, who, in Christ, they are free. That's the way that the church is, is operating in Paul's day. So this is also a Roman colony, and so Latin is the main language that's, that's spoken everywhere, even though there's many, many different languages, like you know, Hebrew and Greek and all sorts of stuff. Um, the, Latin is the main spoken language in the city. Um, and their main wealth is actually made through manufacturing what's called Isthmian bronze, uh, which actually is figured in Jerusalem. They actually believe that there's, there's Isthmian bronze that was used in the temple uh, in, in Jerusalem. And all, and you know that uh, what Herod and and those guys had been using the the, the products because of course remember Roman Empire, um, and their pottery, their pottery was fam was famous throughout the empire, and of course the games, the Isthmian games, the culture, currency, and architecture of of of, of Corinth was all Roman, heavily Roman because of course they built the city, they rebuilt it. Um, though much of the of the Greek religious names and worship were still used. Um, so let's look into that. So first, they have the, the, the religiosity of Corinth was heavily, heavily, of course, pagan. Right? You know, but also, there's a mix of not just like the Greek and Roman differences, like, you know, like Zeus is Jupiter and, and Aphrodite is Venus and all sorts of stuff. But a heavy part of, of worship in the Roman Empire was worshiping what's called the imperial cult. This is worshiping Caesar. It all started with Julius Caesar, believe it or not. So Julius Caesar was the first Roman Caesar, first Roman emperor, that was you know, in the higher, highest monarchy of the, of the Roman Empire. Uh, because but way before that, it had been a republic, uh, very much like America, with a leader, but not a monarchy. And so then they became a Caesar, the emperor. Um, and the first one, Julius Caesar, everyone know what happened to him? Yeah. Became a human pincushion, right? Um, yeah, he's the, yeah, yeah he, he suicided himself with multiple stabs. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, so he he died. But then so then a, then there was a whole whole battle between you know Mark Antony and and Octavian. Well, Octavian won. Mark Antony died, um, and Cleopatra, his wife, killed herself. And then Augustus, I'm sorry, Octavian became Caesar, changed his name to Augustus. Mm -hmm. So, anyone know who was born during Caesar Augustus? Jesus. Jesus. See in our Bible, Luke chapter 2. During the time of Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus said, 
see, you know, the, anyone remember back in the 90s? I know it's, it's been a while. Yeah. Right? <laughs> oh, man, it's been a while. Oh, I'm feeling old. Oh, my back hurts now. Oh, I need a chair. Where's my chair? <laughs> but, so back in, it was a 95, did anyone remember the, the Hale-Bopp comet? Haley's Comet? Yes. Remember that? Mm -hmm. The weird cult that killed themselves and like put yeah. Nike shoes on and the triangle thing on their face and drank yeah. the Kool-Aid. That's where we get the, the whole idiom of drinking the Kool-Aid, right? So that comet was visible when Julius Caesar died. Oh. And the Caesar Augustus said, do you see that comet? That's Julius Caesar. That's, that, he is becoming a god. Mm. That's where this whole imperial cult stuff started, you know, started where they worshipped mm -hmm. The, the monarchy, the emperor, as a god after he died. So that made the Caesar the son of God. And so the phrase that Caesar is the son of God or the son of the gods or a son of God became a Roman idiom. So when the Roman centurion at the cross said, surely this was a son of God. That was a huge statement of worship of change of allegiance from Caesar to Jesus. So we believe that Jesus was the Son of God, Amen. right? The only begotten Son of the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, right? But the Roman world still worshipped Caesar as God. So much so, this is a free one, this is on a little aside. <laughs> so the book of Revelation, right? There was a. So the, the, the imperial cult in Ephesus. So, so Ephesus was where the letter of, of Revelation was written to. Um, in Ephesus, I'm sorry, there was um, the, the Roman Caesar declared that you could not come into the city unless you went to one of the temples that was the border, that was the, the gate coming into Ephesus and you offered worship in the imperial cult to Domitian as God to Domitian as the son of God. And then you would, they would, you know, the priest would offer a little bit of incense and, you know, on the altar, and then you take some of the ash, put his finger in it, and put it on your forehead or on your, on your, on your hand. And the church had, always, had been calling the Roman emperor a beast. He was a, he was a fake lion of Judah. He was a beast. And so when you went to the temples to go and sell, buy and sell and trade in the temple, you'd get the mark of the beast, the beast. Oh, well, on your forehead or on your hand. Okay. It's not a microchip, guys. <laughs> there is this... No, it, it was a ash. You just put an ash. Basically, it was like, a, you know, like you know, when you go to like a club or a theme park or something, they put a stamp on the, on the hand. It's that. That was the <laughs> It was the password. You know, pass, you know, use your passing to get in. And so there, they had these cults everywhere to offer worship to Caesar as the son of God mm -hmm. and to his forefathers and the ancestors as the gods, as these, these, these emperors, these men who became gods. And so they have this all over Corinth. So moving on, here we go. It had a very large temple, uh, temple to Apollo right in the middle of the city and had a large and world-famous temple to Aphrodite. We'll get to that in a second. Um, up on the mountain peak above the city. I think you might actually be able to see it in your thing here. Well, this is a kind of a recreation. Then you see the, the ruins of it down there at the bottom. Um, but there's lots of things. Be careful searching this. Be, be very careful <laughs> with searching Aphrodite and things like that. Um, don't just put an Aphrodite goddess. It gets you some really weird pictures. Don't do that. Um, <laughs> so... So let's look, let's look at Apollo. So Apollo, or as we know in the Bible in Revelation, Apollyon is the son of Zeus, the god of healing and diseases, uh, prophecy, archery, music, and dance, truth, and also associated with the sun and light. He's kind of a partner god that, that sometimes is used in conjunction with him. The Roman version is sol or sol invictus. Or uh, also, which is where we get the word Sunday, um, and also you get the, the guy Helios in the Greek, um, which is what you see there in your on your sheet there. That's that's the god Helios who is associated with Apollo, kind of the same the same god. 
kind of looks similar, doesn't it? <clears throat> That's another story. But there was a very large presence, though. So they had the temple to Apollo, but I think even, even more so it seems that the very large presence of worship to Poseidon, or in the Roman uh, word, Neptune, um, is the Roman pan- in the Roman pantheon. Um, and so this, you know, because it was on this isthmus and it had about, you know, it was very, had two major seaports on either side of this isthmus, um, there, you know, the sea and, and voyaging and ship, you know, um, ship cargo and everything like that, everything about the, the, the seas was a major part of their culture. So Poseidon figured very greatly in their, in their daily lives. Uh, because the ter- you know, this territorial spirit, Poseidon, had promised them great wealth and prosperous voyages in commerce in exchange for worship and sacrifices. Because remember, these gods are actual territorial entities. Deep, powerful spiritual entities in the unseen realms that, ha- that actually promised them and blessed people when they got worshipped. Right? Um, then we also have Aphrodite. Like I said, be careful Googling. Um, this is daughter of Zeus, half-sister of Apollo. And the reason why it's so dangerous to Google, just search her on Google is because she was the goddess of love, lust, beauty, pleasure, passion, desire, specifically sexual desire, um, fertility and procreation, and was known as Venus in the Roman pantheon. Lots of weird stories and avenues and things of worshiping which are super icky. Don't do it. Uh, I'm not going to go there. Yeah. Um, So one of the, uh, the the names of her kids that she was, that was born to the many, many, many of her lovers um, was Cupid. Eros. Eros, the the God, the word that we, that in, in Greek, that's meant for sexual passion. Um, it's actually in the Septuagint in our Song of Solomon. So the Septuagint is a Greek translation of the Old Testament. And so the Eros is the word that's used in the Septuagint in the, the Song of Solomon for that sexual burning passion type uh, description of love. Um, so yeah, so the Cupid was one of her sons. Um, and to, to, in her cult, there were over a thousand cult prostitutes mm-hmm. up on top of this peak. So this giant, this big mountain um, in, in the valley there. And uh, that's on, you had to go up the mountain, and it's still there today. Um, and so there's r- the ruins of it you can see in there, in your sheet there. Um, but thou- thousands of cult prostitutes, hundreds and hundreds of cult prostitutes there every single day. Um, it's interesting, from the docks and the marinas, like right there on the ground, they like have these stamps of the male phallic symbol. Pointing your way to the temple. Oh. <laughs> so it was not only like, you know, free love. It was basically like the 60s, <laughs> you know, the 60s and 70s. Free love, man. You know, just get off the ship. You go up to the temple and you, you know what. <laughs> Don't Google it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, lots of things. We won't go into that. We won't go into it. But there was I mean, wickedness and immorality were praised, not just praised, but seen as virtues to the Corinthians. You you were seen as actually intolerant and foreign, and actually in some senses dangerous to the cultures because you didn't hold, Christians didn't hold the virtues of sexual immorality and promiscuous lifestyles. Wicked and evil territorial spirits kept the Corinthian people in darkness. Worshipping her. Worshipping Poseidon. Worshipping Aphrodite. Worshipping Apollo. Worshipping the God of light. Rather than worshipping the true God, Yahweh. The creator of the sun. The creator of the world. The creator of the waters. The creator and sustainer of all things. Our Jesus, who said to the water... Shut up. And it calmed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Has power over the wind and the waves. With a single word. That's our God. He is the creator of all things. We worship the creator, not the creation. 
Because of, of the cult worship through the multitude of prostitutes, sexual, sexual immorality, the word Corinthian was act, became kind of a byword for to engage in fornication. A prostitute was actually called a Corinthian girl in the Roman Empire. So if you were like a prostitute in, you know, Tyre or Sidon, you'd be known as a Corinthian girl. Right? Um, what is it? Corinthians... Yeah, that <laughs> means to live like a Corinthian, which means to live a life of wealthy, drunken debauchery. Like, you know, showgirl. What do you think of? Right? We know what that is. We know what a showgirl is. You know, it's not just a, you know, an actress on the stage. Right? Or someone who, who plays a character in a show. Right? No, no. It's like... Right. <laughs> you know. Oh. Tired now. <laughs> like I said, this is like the Seattle mixed with Las Vegas. Mm. It's nuts. Mm -hmm. This is also so as uh, economically, this is the provincial capital of Greece, home to the proconsul. And this is the leader of the entire Roman government in this entire region. Um, planted right here. Uh, the, the center of the military. The, the navy, right, and their armies, their militaries. This was the center hub of the, this is the command center uh, of that. Um, and the economy of all of Greece. Um, this is the setting for Acts chapter 18. A large metropolis with a lot going on everywhere. Evils around every corner. People making a living trying to climb the, the social and economic ladder like I said, over a third of them were, were slaves. Uh, the population were slaves serving their masters and say, you know, or serving their owners. People enjoying the loose lifestyle, wealth, and commerce centered around these evil and wicked territorial spirits. Difficult place. And here comes Paul. Walking up into the city and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ the hope of the world. God gives greater promises. And this is why the gospel is successful. Because God empowered the gospel message of Paul. God was faithful to answer the prayers of the righteous, of the saints. Like I said, Poseidon attracted people through the world and economic power and prowess. Aphrodite attracted people through the flesh and, and sex. Where there are territorial spirits, there are lesser, there are also, remember this, lesser angels and demons and spirits serving these territorial spirits. So it's not just these two. It's them and all their thousands and hundreds of th and thousands of cronies. Spirits in the unseen realms. Doing their bidding in the region that they control. The gospel is coming into a spiritual stronghold. Hmm. But God. But God. Rich and mercy with which he loved us was making Corinthians alive and seating them in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. The work of the gospel was going forth in this city through the faithful proclamation of the gospel. Because why? God has a plan for Corinth. God has a plan for Belgrade. Amen? Amen. God has a plan for Belgrade. Amen? Amen? If God had a plan for Corinth, he has a plan for Belgrade. If God had a plan for our brothers and sisters back then, God has a plan for us, our, us brothers and sisters today. Seeing them as our brothers and sisters, we are family with them. We are family with these people. Every single name you read on these pages is your brother, is your sister, is your ancestry, is where we are faith. That because of their obedience to Christ, we exist today. Our faith exists today. We can gather here today because of God's faithfulness 
to his church. Because God had a plan for his church. He made promises to them, and he has made promises to us. He has made promises to his church here today in the Gallatin Valley. He has made plans. He has made purposes to us. Like I said, last night at that concert, there was a guy praying for, has been praying for 50 years for the coming of revival and awakening. People there that have been praying for decades, doing ministry in this region for 20, 10, 20, 30 years. I've been praying for revival. I've been praying for awakening. Because there's not really been a significant revival in Bozeman, in this region. There's one kind of flash in the pan. But there's been prophetic words that have been spoken time and time again over our city, over our region. And I want to play just a little bit of that for you here this morning. Ryan, if you want to go ahead and get the sound ready for it. Um, This was spoken by uh, a, a very dear friend of mine, Scott Isley, uh, last night, who's one of the pastors over at the River Church um, on the far east side of Bozeman. Um, you ready for it? Okay, here we go. And I'm going to 
could draw this family from all over this area. And we could draw and build a place where people will then be able to come and be saved. Is that not what is starting here tonight? The Spirit of the Lord is with you. The Lord is about to confirm His word in your face and really build this church in a great way. I feel like God is about ready to do something holy. I don't want to mess with it, this prophetic voice says. This place is significant to God. This place, Bozeman, Montana, Gallatin Valley, and surrounding areas. It is pivotal in a move that is about to happen. Something so holy and remarkable in this city that it will communicate his love to the nations. God is getting ready to change the spiritual climate. Come on, Scott! Come on, Jesus! The Lord said there is a 30-year revival that's coming. Sorry, a 33-year revival that's coming. He's not interested in a flash in a pan. He wants to dwell in this place. That is what he has created this place for. The enemy is trying to shut down the destiny of righteous people being raised up to release the sound over this region. Let it be a haven of holiness, a place where the word of God has free force rather than resistance of the spirit. That's what this place is called to. That's what God wants to unearth here. It's been covered over by religious stuff. The Lord says, I'm releasing and anointing to worship me on high places. I am getting ready to release a place, a unity into the churches and the leadership of Montana. You have the turning point anointing, says God. There is going to be a revival that comes in this state. I am coming for Montana. Get on my horse and ride across the stage. The Lord says to watch what I'm going to do. Church, this is a season of hope. The church will rise up into hope. Throw down the discouragement. We have this certain hope, like a strong, unbeatable anchor. Holding our souls to God Himself. Our anchor of hope is fastened to the mercy seat in the heavenly realm beyond the sacred threshold, and where Jesus, our forerunner, has gone in before us. heard those words. I hope you hear what God is doing in this valley. The words of prophecy that have been spoken over it. The words that are coming to fruition. Did you hear that? A 33 year revival. A 33 year revival. That's not a flash in the pan, you guys. And the vision that he's been getting is this banner over, over Bozeman, over this region that says, Jesus is Lord. God is handing over the city, over the, our region to us. Because he, is, he has been raising up a generation who will be faithful. With the prophecy, the word of prophecy and the promise that he has given. Perhaps that's why Jesus came when he did. Because there was a generation that would be faithful with him. That would be faithful with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because of his spirit upon them. And that's a powerful message for us today. That his spirit is upon us. There has been, since the second great awakening, just an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In new and fresh ways. I mean, for, for hundreds of years, the Holy Spirit had been quenched. Holy Spirit and the power of God had been relegated to the papacy, 
and to church organizations and leadership and theologians. But now the Holy Spirit broke out over 100 years ago to come and bring us to the place that we are today, to prepare the culture for where we are today. It even says the creation itself waits for us, waits for the church, longs to see the church, longs for the Holy Spirit in and through us and upon us to bless it and the cities, bless the world, bless this world, bless the culture, to be a blessing for the gospel to go out in power, which we're going to talk about more next week. But how does he do this? Does God just go and make it do, make it happen? No. How does he do it? Through us. Every work that you see God do in the scriptures, he does through people. Moses. He could have done the plagues all by himself, and many of them he did, but he used Moses to work and to speak, to be the mouthpiece of the Lord to Pharaoh. He used his staff to split the Red Sea. Maybe he can use your walker. <laughs> Basically, you know, modern day, modern day one. <laughs> Wherever your walker goes, there goes Jesus. There goes the power that divided the Red Sea. Oh, she's walked yes. into the building today, brother Alan. Amen. There's power wherever God's people in the power of the Holy Spirit go. And God has been preparing each and every one of you for such a time as this. If you will say yes. This is how God creates the Great Awakening. This is, you're going to see it. Look at, look at how many... You know, this is the glory of, of, of what was last night. You see all the people down in the front. That's not even half of them. There were like... There were hundreds. Hundreds of people there last night. This is how we see God accomplishing the Great Awakening in, in this valley. Through the church. Through Shift Church. Through C3. Through the River Church. Through C3 Livingston. Through Journey. Through Revival. Through, a, through Summit Church. Through Abundant Life. Through the churches that are willing to say yes. Is Shift Church willing to say yes? Yes. yes. Is Shift Church willing to say yes? Yes. 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 We say yes, Lord Jesus. Yes, Lord Jesus, use us. Use us. We are here, God. We are here for you to use us. We are here for you to bless us. We are here for you, us to be a blessing to our city, to our region, to other churches in the valley. We say yes, Lord, to oneness. We say yes, Lord, to unity. Hallelujah. We say yes to love and to operate through the Holy Spirit. Awaken us, Lord Jesus. Awaken us. God uses relationships to do his will. I want to just wrap up with, with this, this thought. With Aquila and his wife, Priscilla, they, they come, they're in... <coughs> They're in uh, Corinth. God accomplishes his word through one another. These are Drew, Jews from Rome, because as, as I said in the scripture, you know, there was a large you know, population of Jews here, mainly because uh, they were ex expelled from Rome. They're like, well, hop on the nearest ship and go as far as we can. There's Corinth, there we go. So there's a lot of these, these Jews that have been kicked out of Rome. And this is where we meet Priscilla and Aquila. But here's the thing, we are introduced to a powerhouse couple. Mm -hmm. Right away mm -hmm. in the scripture passage, isn't it interesting? There's there's different traditions about about this, but you know some traditions say that uh, Aquila may have been one of the tw the seventy disciples, um, so that would have made them you know early disciples that walked with Jesus. B converts on, you know from the day of Pentecost, or B or C converts of Paul here in Corinth. But every time it says that there are converts, it says that they came to faith through the, the preaching of the gospel by Paul. I think the most likely um, thing here is that they were most likely Pentecostal Christians mm -hmm. that were that came from Rome to to Jerusalem for the time of Pentecost, the Shavuot, mm -hmm. heard the preaching of Peter, became Christians, and then went back to Rome. Mm -hmm. This is why we get to that happy coincidence. 
the providence of God, that God would lead Paul all the way through Macedonia and down into Achaia, through Athens and down into Corinth, to meet brothers and sisters in Jesus, working as tent makers. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow, what a cool coincidence. Ah, nope. Jesus. Only God. And these are the first, this is probably the, the first time that we're introduced in Scripture to Paul meeting up with fellow Christians in his missionary journeys. Mm-hmm. Glory. I love it. I love like when I'm out going somewhere and I just, and I meet believers. Like I'm out at the coffee shop, I'm hanging out, I've got my Bibles open, of course, because it's where I work a lot of times on my sermons. I have my coffee there, mm-hmm. and just people go, oh, what are you reading? What are you reading? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I'm reading the Old Testament. Like, oh, really? Cool. What are you reading? What are you reading? Oh, I'm preaching through the book of Acts, you know. They're like, oh, let's talk. I love talking about Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus. Just sit and talk with, about Jesus for like an hour with some, with some believer that comes into the coffee shop and get to encourage them and be encouraged by them. I love these, like, you know, happy accidents, coincidences, right? So we see this here in, in, our, in our passage. So Paul comes to, to Corinth and immediately is encouraged because he meets this powerhouse right away because he comes alone. Because remember, Silas and Timothy were still back in Berea. <clears throat> so not only does Paul meet two fellow Jews, but these believers. <clears throat> and Priscilla and Aquila um, were probably quite possibly the very first Christians in Corinth. And they were tent makers just like Paul. Here's the part we can see in this happy happy accident, this providential situation, is that God is strategic. As we look in, how does God want to use us for the revival and the awakening in Bozeman and, and Belgrade and beyond? How, do we, how, do, how does God want to use us as Ship's Church in this next great awakening? Strategically. Strategically. Strategy. Having God has a strategy and tactics to accomplish the strategies. It's our job to say, what is your strategy, God? Let us on board, which is why we're doing our vision day today. What is the strategy that God is giving us? And dreaming and and seeing how God is working and moving in our church, using us as a church and using our facilities. You know that God is using Shift Church even when you're not here? Not just through you. God is using the building just itself. Mm -hmm. God is using us as a church in Belgrade and beyond. And God will use you individually and us collectively for his, for his strategy for what he wants accomplished. What did he say in, the, in this passage? We'll get to that a little bit more deeply in, in the weeks to come. But God gives Paul a vision and says this. I have many in this city. Mm-hmm. And I'll lead you to them. Mm-hmm. God is strategic. He doesn't just say, "Go and do a bunch of whole good, whole, go go and do a bunch of good stuff, and you know, th- th- throw spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks." <laughs> right? Don't just like do start doing random things. Like, be strategic, be intentional. I love that word, intentional. God is intentional. He's he's not just accidental. He doesn't just do something like, "Oh, cool, people responded in faith." Surprise. He does things on purpose, intentionally. God is saying, you will have great success because I am about to work. And then Paul followed God where he was working. So that's the question that we have to be asking ourselves as a church. Where is God calling us to work because of where he is already at work? And then we go there. And we do that. God is calling the church here at Shift Church and in this region to be the light in the marketplace. Specifically, here's one way. We work for the living Christ wherever you work for a living. Think about that. Wherever you work, wherever you go, whatever you do, you are a light. And God's not going to it out. He's going to let it shine. He's not going to it out. He's going to let it shine. He's not going to put a bush over it and cover it in a, in a social club. He's going to let it shine. How can your light shine? Maybe we should do that one. Where's Derek? <laughs> this little light of mine. Everyone. <laughs> but how, are, how is God going to shine you as his light? Because he uses lights. He is the light of the world. 
We, and he calls us, we are the light of the world. Why? Because we have the light of Christ in us. So where does God want to strategically shine you? God has placed you where you are during this time in your life for a reason. Shine. And we will partner together as a church, yes, to figure out strategies. And my work is to equip you, the work, you know, for the work of ministry, one to another, and to be a good light, to be a good, bright, stupid bright, you know, one of the million can, you know, candlelight power spotlights for the for the good for the goodness and college of Jesus Christ and the gospel in this city. Awesome brightness, because we don't worship light, we don't worship the sun. We worship the creator of the light. We worship the true light of the world in whom there is no darkness at all. No shadow, no darkness. True, pure light. So as we, as we wrap this morning, ask ourselves that question. God, write this down in your notes. As a question to the Lord that I want you to, to rest in this week. Let this be what guides you throughout the week this week. In your prayer times, every morning, ask God this question. If you're on the way to work, if you're getting your shower, as you're making your coffee, whatever it is, Lord, how do you want to use me this week? Open up opportunities for the light of the gospel to shine. Ask God for him to bless those opportunities first at the very beginning of the day. So that when they come, you're ready. When the opportunity comes to share your faith, to share about Jesus, to share about the hope that's within you, you're ready. You're ready to share. You're ready to shine forth your light. Because you can't shine a, shine a flashlight unless you've got batteries, fresh batteries in it. Charge your batteries every morning. How are you charging your batteries every morning to, to light? <laughs> How are you putting the Lord Christ and embedding him into your spirit so that you can shine bright every morning, every day, all day, every day? Because that is how God is going to radically transform this region. is through us saying yes before we've ever been asked to do anything. Having a posture with the Lord of saying yes. And then the harvest will come. And God will add to our number daily those who are being saved. And we get to fill that, that baptismal every Sunday. I'd love to have an astronomical water bill. Or at least to have to try to switch over to, you know, to chlorine or something and keep the water there. Because just people after, you know, people after people after people, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, people are saying, I want to be baptized. I want to be baptized. Hey, let me introduce you to my friend. I shared the gospel with her and she's saved. She said yes to Jesus and she wants to be baptized. Like, Yes! Let's do it! Hey, I shared faith with this. Oh, one of my favorite stories from this week. There was these teenagers that went out um, after a youth group one, one night out in Texas, uh, this church called Mercy Culture. They went out and just started sharing the faith, their faith at the mall. This entire family of four people got saved. And they went to the, the fountain in the mall and baptized them in the middle of the mall. I'd love for you to like come and just like, hey, I shared my faith with the with the with this family, and they all said yes, and they want to be baptized. I'm like, yes, let's do it. And I would love to have a problem that we're having baptism services taking over our normal Sunday morning services, because we're just seeing salvation after salvation after salvation. That's the kind of revival we're talking about, because Jesus is pouring Himself out. There's. There's discipleship happening. We're not just baptizing them and letting them wander, but like coming and bringing them under our wings and, and relationships and friendships and mentorships and having these disciples and bringing them up in the faith, teaching them how to walk with God, how to not walk and, and live for themselves, but how to walk and live for the Lord. That is my vision. That is God's vision for this. That's God's vision for the church. And I pray that we are ready to walk in it. Amen? Amen. Amen.
Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence. Lord, do it again. Empower us, Lord. Fill us with your Spirit. Give us all a fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I bless this church right now in the name of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, to be filled with the Spirit of the living God. Put your word on our lips. Put our love, put your love in our hands and send our feet, our beautiful feet to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, awaken this valley. Awaken this region with the outpouring of your Holy Spirit because of the preaching and the singing, the declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let your goodness flow here at Ship's Church. Let your glory, let your joy, let your peace, and most of all, let your love dwell here amongst your church in your people and through your people to one another. Let us be an encouragement week after week, day after day to one another so that we may see and experience your presence among us. Glorify yourself through your church. Awaken us first, Lord. Awaken your church and bless us, God, in the coming season. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We proclaim you glory. We give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. We love you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.